Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Kristen Walker here. We are back with Dr. Lisa Day. Hi Lisa. Hi Kristen. So today we are going to talk about the dark triad and there is a woman that is a very good friend of mine. Her name is Christine Louis de Cannonville. She's from Dublin, Ireland. And sometimes I call her just to hear her talk with her accent, (laughs) Um, but she's written a book, which is one of the most popular books on this subject. It's actually called the three faces of evil, unmasking the full spectrum of narcissistic abuse. And she talks about uh, a basic understanding of the dark triad from narcissistic personality disorder, malignant narcissism, to the most pathological, the psychopath. So um, please, everyone, if you want to know about her book, you can go to NarcissisticBehavior.net and order it there. But for today's show, I love it, Lisa, that you want to get into this. So please share with me, you know, why you wanted to do this and uh, and the listeners, of course, too, and um, what what the dark triad means to you. Well, well, I'm, as, you're, as you're introducing it, I'm thinking perhaps it is part of my dark triad qualities that I have a sadistic need to look at the dark triad. And, <laughs> well, we all have a shadow, but some of our shadows are not dark evil. <laughs> well, you know, and, and when, you, when you think of it, it sounds like a crime novel, right? Dark right. triad. And, and, you know, just when we thought things were tough enough, you know, you and I have done so many shows about narcissism and narcissistic mothers and narcissistic lovers and, and, you know, all the complications and challenges with dealing with a narcissist. And, and then we have the dark triad. And, you know, for, for our listeners, the dark triad is, is not necessarily a pathological. It, it often can be a subclinical um, uh, a triad. But when we think of it, it's the darkest, uh, uh, most destructive um, of the personality type. So we've got, you know, the narcissist who certainly is in pursuit of ego gratification. You know, they have a sense of superiority, grandiosity, dominance, entitlement. Um, they feel like they're better than others or more superior. And so most of us are very familiar with the narcissist. But then there's the Machiavellian. Um, and, and when we think of Machiavellian, we can think of the M&M, right? So the Machiavellian is incredibly manipulative. Um, and they are, they're calculated, and they're deceitful. Um, they are can be quite amoral, you know, in their personality and the self-interest and personal gain is, you know, of utmost importance. Um, 
and their their goal is to undermine others. And then you add the third quality of the dark triad, the psychopathy, and that's the callous, the impulsive, um, those with antisocial or bold behaviors, um, a, a complete void or, or lack of empathy, lack of remorse, um, very impulsive. And so when you put the three of those together, the narcissist, the McEldanian, and the psychopathy, it, we really got um, a triad that can be quite a force to deal with. See, Lisa can't even say Machiavellian. That's I have a denial it that is. it exists. We're going to call it the big M. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, well, I want you to say malevolent right now because that's another M word that you don't like. Malevolent. There you go. <laughs> the M&M. The M&M. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's interesting because if you look at it from an evolution, uh, evolutionary perspective, there are advantages for the dark triad. Because, you know, when you have these subclinical presentations, they don't have neuroticism or anxiety, you know, and that mm. can help facilitate one's goals, you know, in adverse, you know, conditions. You know, the narcissist, they're in their pursuit for power, status, and wealth. And then the M&Ms, as I'm going to call them, you know, they're, they're socially manipulative, but they, um, they uh, don't have remorse. And so when you put those three together, some of the studies will look at in the mating game, right? So pursuing a mate those qualities can be advantageous, but mm -hmm. in the relationship world, incredibly destructive, you know, just, just horribly destructive. Right. And, they're, and very, they're very good at getting what they want, but they are horrible at keeping it. Absolutely. And they and, don't and, even care really about keeping it. Once they've sucked the life out of and gotten the juice out of whoever the target is, um, they really don't care about it anymore. Um, so. They lack empathy. They lack exactly. remorse. Well, unless of course you re you reject the narcissist, and then you're going to get an aggressive response. But you know, but right. but interestingly, if you look at um, um, uh, employment studies or career studies, if you look at narcissism, it correlates positively with salary. I mean, mm -hmm. we've got people in high positions, you know, left and right, who have this dark triad, and be beware, right? Um, well, you know, the, the stock market, they actually had people take Robert Hare's psychopathy checklist, which is, you know, worldwide famous. It's, it's the checklist needs to be updated, which he agrees um, also that it does, but it's what is used, right? And they would have uh, potential stockbrokers take that test or fill that out. And if they scored high in psychopathy, they were hired. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, they they have a disproportionate um, representation in leadership positions. They just do compared to you know the population. Right. So, in, which is strange. We've got psychopaths leading our country and big businesses. You know. Right. And leading but, countries all over the world and big business all over yeah. the world. Yeah. Well, and while you know they have the ability to put their interests first and to manage people and impressions of people and to pursue their goals with great confidence and and certainly those are all components of success. Um, but it will, that hardness, I guess is, is somewhat adaptive, but the, the success is at the expense of others. You know, it's sometimes to themselves, but certainly, you know, their unethical white collar crime, lying, deception, and cyber aggression are things that, you know, come to ultimately, um, cause failure, you know, in their positions. Um, and maybe they don't fail out of the job, but they complicate certainly the work environment for sure. Oh, absolutely. And they will, they will shoot themselves in the foot just to be right. So as an example, um, I have some friends of mine that the CEO of a company started a company. It is a wonderful organization. And then because it 
you know, unsustainable, the pursuit of it and the creating it and doing something amazing was sustainable, but actually managing it, you have to have empathy for being a do-gooder company, right? Couldn't do that. So started to, you know, unravel and destroy the company. Then the board came and took it over. And so instead of thank you, now you're going to do with the company what should be done with it. I'm going to cash out. You know, it wasn't like they took it away from this person and then they were left with nothing. They got a nice big um, check. Well, now they're going to destroy what they created just Uh-oh. to win. That's why that Machiavellianism comes in because they, they, you, you have to know what you're up against when you decide to take on someone with that kind of a disorder. I know because I have, and I'm very careful about when I choose to do it and when I choose to go, yeah, I'm not up for that. <laughs> well, and, and, and I think what you're um, pointing to is that they're pervasive patterns of behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not roles or characteristics that people step into. They're, you know, part of their operating system. And, you know, I think the narcissist, you know, if you look at empathy has a little bit more than the other two qualities of the other two components yes. of the dark triad, but um, basically speaking, it's who they are and how they operate. And it's to win, to be right, self-advancement, grandiosity, you know, they'd rather cheat than work. You know, if, why yeah. work if you can cheat or get it for free? And, and very little remorse. They look you straight in the face. I mean, I had a client here, um, many, I guess this was actually back in Seattle, and this was more in a romantic stance than it was in the, um, in the business world. But she was the victim, if you will, of identity fraud, uh, identity mm-hmm. theft, and her credit cards that were being used and what have you. And she was working with authorities to try to track it down. And, and meanwhile, living with her boyfriend, her happily you know, in love with her boyfriend, and when, of which she would give him the rent money to pay the rent. And he was lovely and kind and charming and bought her all kinds of gifts. And it was probably about three months into therapy where she came in to me, you know, white as a ghost. And she said, my landlord contacted me because I was seven months, six months, three months. I don't know. There were several months delinquent in rent mm-hmm. only to find out that the identity theft was from her live-in fiance who was pocketing the rent money to buy her gifts and had stolen her identity. And complete lack of remorse, you know, the denial, you know, that that happens when we're involved with someone like that is profound, but complete lack of remorse, complete manipulation, and complete self-serving. You know, he was financially supporting himself, and she thought she was in love. And, you know, it's it's fascinating to me who has been doing podcasts on this subject for a long time and have other podcasters on, on Mental Health News Radio Network that do shows just about this topic. That's the only thing they talk about it's a whole cottage industry writing about narcissism, writing about narcissistic personality disorder, doing therapy around it, having workshops. It's its own, it's become its own industry. And what is fascinating and has been the biggest uh, woe for me is the number of people that write about it, talk about it, put themselves up as a healer, as a helper. And they are, what they write about and the reason why, yes, the reason why (laughs) they write about it so well, and they can have hundreds of thousands of followers. They can write about it so well because they are talking about and writing about themselves. Yeah. Oh, that's really powerful. Really powerful. I wonder how much negative reference they make or how to deal with or how to set boundaries, you know, with that dynamic, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it, well, you know, we know that they're those, the dark triad in and of itself is, you know, just 
resembles conflict and chaos, aggression. Yes. You know, it's just not a, it's not a productive dynamic to say the least. Mm-hmm. Much like the Bermuda Triangle, I guess I would say. Yeah, they don't yeah. let things go. <laughs> well, and, and you know, it's interesting too, Kristen, because so many times when we think of psychopaths or antisocial personality disorders, we go to criminals, right? We right. think Ted Bundy, we think, you know, serial killers. Um, and yet, you know, it's so important for our listeners to know that that antisocial um, characteristic psychop- psychopathy, it can be subclinical. And so we, we look at these people and typically they're good looking and quite charming. Mm-hmm. And so we're not quick to think, oh, here's a Ted Bundy, you know, here's someone who's going to a, a Jeffrey Dahmer, someone who's going to murder me. But they have enough of those qualities, the lack of remorse, the self-interest, you know, the, the desire for manipulation that we can get wooed into, you know, mm-hmm. relationships with these. And and there's a, I don't know, you probably have, um, are familiar with the Dirty Dozen scale. Have you heard mm-hmm. of that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, for our listeners who haven't, you know, I mean, we look at the scale and, and it, who would own up to it, right? So what is the question? Do you manipulate others or do you lie to others, flatter others, um, seek personal gain in your interactions, lack remorse, not concerned for the morality of your actions, if you're mean and insensitive, cynical, you know, you desire and need the admiration of other people, crave attention. Um, you need the favor from others or you seek status and prestige. Most narcissists I know wouldn't check those, right? Yeah. Because they have that inflated ego. Um, but it's interesting because what, what research is showing, obviously, is that you know, when, those, um, when folks have the guts to address these, that they can really predict that dark triad in relationships and with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that where people get lost on the journey of figuring out when they've been in a relationship like this and how to heal from it, because let me tell you, you will spend a lot of time in therapy dealing with being in one of these relationships, or at least I hope you will anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what kind of trips people up is we all have narcissistic traits. It's, it's, part of being human and it's something that we work on but you know that's where shame and guilt and uh, things like that uh, come in to to make us and and empathy to make us go oh that maybe i and self-reflection maybe i shouldn't behave that way that wasn't so good you know the all of those things well that is something that these kind of people don't do they don't even have the capacity to do this. So we, as people who are not part of the dark triad can get lost in, well, is it us or are we this? Cause we're so used to empathizing with others that we even empathize with the narcissist. <laughs> well, and, and clinically, you know, when I work with folks who realize that they are in relationship, whether it's business and more often it's going to be a romantic relationship um, when they realize that this is what they're involved with, you know, there's, as I mentioned, there's a tremendous amount of denial at first, but I think that one of the most damaging things among many things, I mean, we can talk about that for 10 shows, but one of the most damaging things that I experience or, and I observe and work with to the operating system of the person, most, most commonly a woman, because this dark triad is disproportionately represented in men, but um, is that the individual who's involved with someone with these qualities not only has been hurt, deceived, cheated on, stolen from, but they've been so heavily gaslighted the entire relationship that not only do they lose the trust for their partner and other people, but the more disturbing part is that they lose the ability to trust self. Yes. Um, And and when you're, the longer the relationship, the greater the damage. And that takes a long time to heal. That takes a long time to heal. 
It does. It takes a very long time to heal. And it's, you know, being, it's, it's been an eight year journey for me from figuring out exactly what this is, because I was involved with someone that had, you know, was diagnosed by other therapists. It's been eight years of just walking through this. And I see patterns, the same patterns with everyone that's, you know, coming into survival mode from this kind of a relationship. And that not trusting yourself puts you in a place of, or part of the process is being very judgmental yourself because you're always, you don't trust yourself because you got into this kind of a relationship. So you blame yourself. And so you are constantly sort of looking for the sociopath around the corner and uh -huh. every person you meet, I'll have people that I meet that are new that'll say, oh yes, I can tell that you're a nice person. Or I will tell them <laughs> that I'm like, they're trying to tell themselves that. And, and I say, well, I mean, I try to be, I don't always hit the mark, but I try to be, but it's like they, they need to confirm for themselves or I will tell them, oh, this thing happened that was uncomfortable with someone that um, maybe, you know, they're part of the dark triad or they're veering close to it. And they go, oh, you, and they're very judgmental about that. You let them do this to you. And I understand mm -hmm. that that's a stage that we all go through because I did too for a while. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think if we look at that, you know, clinically speaking, you know, you've heard me say this before, but the foundation of love, you know, is that of trust and respect mm -hmm. and the fractures in both those areas when you are involved with the dark triad and absolutely a narcissist, either or, or both they're profound and they're, they don't restrict themselves to the romantic relationship. Right. So your foundation of knowing how to love other people um, is profound. And I tell people that generally speaking, when you have fractures to that extent in the arena of trust and respect, you're looking at three to five years yes. um, in the healing process. It's not just getting out of the relationship. That's a boundary, right? That's the geographical space and time, but three to five years before you would be comfortable or begin to navigate vulnerability, trust, and and come close to learning how to respect other people because you've been so shamboozled mm -hmm. um, and, and your own trust of self, you know, so very destroyed. Absolutely. I mean, in, in the long run, it's all tools that those of us that have empathy <laughs> and especially those of us that are loaded with it, um, highly sensitive people or highly empathic people, or even some people call empaths, your it it takes you on such a wonderful journey of self of the most profound self love healthy self love that you can imagine but you walk through fire to get to that place and it's a and it's not it's not a destination it's just a a constant journey so it's worth it but it's very very painful very painful well and and i think of it too i i often compare <laughs> i often compare compare growth to my ACL tear and repair, <laughs> which is the ligaments in your knee, right? Mm. So, you know, I, I have two torn and repaired. And though they're both repaired, I have an eye on them at all times. I can't jump off, you know, yeah. a, a block, if you will. I have to be cognizant in my step. I don't wear high heels. You know, there's, you, your life is permanently modified, you know, because yes. of that injury. And I think it's the same thing when you have found yourself in such a destructive relationship that many of those wounds don't heal you just become acutely aware of when they're flaring up and how to modify your environment accordingly. But it's a lifelong process for sure. And then, well, you might be able to speak to this one, Kristen, if you are raised by someone who demonstrates these qualities, then it's, you know, it's a lifelong journey 
absolutely. Um, of being absolutely. aware. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. And it's a lifelong journey of, you know, looking at your own behavior. I, I talked about this on a show on my podcast where I had a, a Sunday not too long ago where I wasn't putting myself on the rack in any way. It, it was the first time that I did a personal inventory and I looked at all of the things, the behaviors or the situations I've been in where I really didn't like how I behaved and just looked at it very clearly. I didn't feel great about it. And we all have that. This is not anything new. Every person on the planet, Gandhi had that, those moments. Okay. <laughs> so, but to be able Welcome to, to the human race, exactly. Right? Yeah. But to be able to do that without the shame the, oh, you must be inherently evil, the uh, trying to compare to the people that I've unfortunately, you know, been around since childhood. It was a great thing to sit there and go, oh, thank God you can do a personal inventory now mm -hmm. and adjust your behavior how you want. And you don't immediately shame yourself for this. You just take your lumps and you go on to the next phase. And what that told me was I have worked so hard on filling my own cup self-care, um, self-esteem. And that is hard to do when you're in these kinds of relationships. But I, it, it just was a benchmark for me of, whew, I've done some, some good work here. That doesn't mean I get to rest on my laurels, but it, it does mean that I can go, wow, this is what it's like to walk in my life feeling really good about myself as a human being, instead of always feeling like there was something just horrible and, and wrong with me. Well, and so freeing and so liberating, right? Yep. And, and, and one of the problems though, I think that people run into is that when they discover that they're involved in a relationship with someone who has these qualities and they do their own work, I think this is um, true in many cases in psychology, there's an assumption that the other party has done their work as well. <laughs> um, and yet... <laughs> <laughs> no, they right? just know how to sound like they have. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've heard me say before that when narcissists, generally speaking, that's not always, but generally speaking, when narcissists come into therapy or when the dark triad, when you notice, oh boy, I've got the Bermuda Triangle here in my office, um, they don't typically get better. They don't, well, they don't typically heal. They get better. And when I say they get better, they get better at their manipulative, yes. exploitative, deceitful tax. They just now begin to quote the therapist or the, yep. the, the, you know, they learn the, how to manipulate better. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Will you, will you come with me to this funeral? I need you to, you know, hold space for me. And it's no, and please hear my no, that's my boundary. Right. And so it's, they, they, they just get better, you know, and people often ask me, you know, in therapy, they're like, well, okay. So I realize I'm in relationship with this person, or maybe this person is my father or my mother or my sister or my brother or what have you. And they say, how do I deal, you know, with these people who have these qualities? And I, I make that akin to oftentimes when I do speaking engagements, people will say, Lisa, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this jerk in my life? And, and my answer is always the same. And I say, why would I want to teach you how to deal yes. with a jerk? Yeah. You know, I say, run, don't walk <laughs> is the first, meaning geographical space and time is often your best uh, uh, recourse when you find your own relationship with the people like this. But we don't always have that choice, right? right. So, you know, some other things that I, I teach people is that, you know, because the dark triad is so very self-absorbed and because they're so very charming, they do their best work in person, 
face-to-face yes. research will support that. So I say to the extent that you're able, um, you want to correspond via email. And I say email because it can be documented. Right. You know, I, I tell them less is more, you know, uh, talk yeah. less, listen edit, more. Edit, 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 edit. Yeah. Edit, edit. And, and you and I have talked about this before with boundaries as well, is that never, ever, ever with this triad defend or explain because you just leave yourself wide open for a slaying, right? And then right. The, the, the subsequent gaslighting. Um, and then and in the workplace, you know, we find that the dark triad, um, these people can often have a, a fair amount of anger, you know, and aggression, and they can be passive, aggressive, or avoidant, and sulk. And, you know, what I teach po- folks is to not, I, I quote, say, don't pick up the rope, meaning like in a right. tug of war game, and, you know, to observe but not interact, you know, with the manipulative ploys. And, and that takes a little bit of setting back to, to stop, I say, stop, look, and listen to realize, am I being flattered? charmed and manipulated. And you know this, Kristen, you come to a point, you know, you and I are both on a a different, uh, well, we're long in our journey of healing, you know, from being Mm -hmm. on the receiving ends of these. And I say, you can smell them. (laughs) Yes. You you can smell them because they, you know, it's that person who comes to you with so much charm and what was once flattering and would pull you in, it makes you want to puke. Right, you're like, oh no, here, here's one. You know, yeah. how, do, how do I protect myself? And I think too, you know, they part of gaslighting is also them getting your gas, your fuel. They don't yes. know how to. They don't. They can't create their own fuel. They're not a. They're not a um, rechargeable battery. Of you know their own. They they only recharge through extracting power from other people. You as a, an empathic person can recharge your own battery. They don't have that. So they are always, always, it doesn't matter, you know, what the situation is. I don't care if they look like a million bucks and, you know, and you don't, it doesn't matter. They are still pathologically envious of you for one reason. And that is because you can recharge your own battery and they cannot and they are very angry at anyone who can do that, even though they must extract and go to and deign to go to other people because they have to. That's that's, that's the, the only fuel. way they can feel. So so they will gaslight you, but they'll also steal your gas. And and one of the things that is fascinating um, that I've taken to lately is when we're in those relationships, our bodies do betray us. We, we are getting adrenaline dumps. Uh, we are putting, you know, getting our physiologically to a state of this constant fight or flight. And, and so part of the getting out of those relationships is having our body chemicals calm down. There's a lot of work that needs to go into making that piece happen. And for me, I can tell now, Ooh, I am going to need to not engage because that can easily trigger that adrenaline dump. And my, and then my body will start, I will start then having to fight my physical chemistry to keep engaging with this person. So I sort of take this attitude of, you know, where people say, um, does a, if a bear goes to the bathroom in the woods, did it really go to the bathroom? Cause you didn't see it happen. So that's how I look <laughs> at like, they're going and I'm in a, I'm somewhat of a public figure in, in the little bubble that I'm in. So they're going to write crappy things about me. They're going to put things on their website that are copyright infringement. They're going to say things, but if provoke. I don't exactly, but if I don't look at any of that stuff, then I don't know that it's happening. And I, and my friends and colleagues know, don't tell me, 
I don't want to hear about it. Well, and I think that is so profound, Kristen, because I think that, you know, when I counsel friends or family or clients that are, you know, moving away from this kind of dynamic, I really do say the best response is no response, Mm -hmm. no contact. And the empathy, those of us who have healthy general empathy, um, that just seems mean and unkind. It seems like we're avoiding and we're in denial. It's like we're we're being like them. And so we don't want to be like them, but that's not what it is. It's, it's not. And, and, and I say no contact, literally block on text, block on email, Mm -hmm. do not correspond because any correspondence is that opportunity to what you're saying, fuel, you know, that, that pathological dynamic. But I think what's important, you know, for those of us who are on the healing journey or want to be on that healing journey is that as you're saying, we become addicted to the drama, but it's, it's not that it's an addiction that we develop. These relationships, you know, you've heard me speak before about generally speaking, relationships fall into one of two categories, in my opinion, um, and somewhere in between, so on a spectrum. So we can have those that are generally intimate, and those are ones that are, the foundation is based on trust and respect. It's like-minded people who energize. We have each other's mm-hmm. back. It's nurturing. It's vulnerable. It's safe. We embrace the weaknesses of each other, and we set each other up for success true intimacy. Conversely, intense relationships are characterized by chaos and drama, judgment, (laughs) criticism, power, and control. And the allure when we find ourselves in a relationship with the dark triad is that they, they sweep us off our feet. Oh my gosh. That's the, that's the whole beware of the wow factor, right? Mm -hmm. It's every, it's intense. It's intensely. Wow. They're intensely successful. They're intensely charming. They're amazing lovers. They're, they've got this, that, and the other. So it's intense, intense, intense. And once, you know, the individual begins to realize that, oh my goodness, this intensity, it's intense. All right. But it's a pathological intensity. It's very difficult, as you say, to not get pulled in because while we don't want the dysfunctional intensity, we're drawn to that intensity. And so the boundaries with self are, when I work with folks is the most difficult. I say no contact no response, no contact, no response. And if it's someone that you have to be, you know, in correspondence with, say, because of parenting plans, shared children or what have you, or business relationships, it's email, less is more, no defending Mm -hmm. and explaining, you know, the boundaries, 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 right? And, and, you know, sometimes they aren't charming and attractive. It's successful. Sometimes you are those things. Okay. You are those things and they are coming at you and they are still offering you the world. I will do this thing for you, love you the way you've never been loved, or I will bring you a project and I'll do all the work and every need. You don't have to do any of it because you're a successful person. You're used to having control of everything. And and then someone comes to you and says, I'll do it all for you because you're so amazing. They're flattering the heck out of you and they're not successful. Their influence is that of a grain of sand in the Baltic Sea. However, (laughs) (laughs) however, you find as you go through the project, oh, right. This is empty. This is empty. They can't you have do no anything. Data. Exactly. You have no information. There's no backbone. There's no substance here. <laughs> you I'm, are going to do all the work, and then you're going to have to go to therapy dealing with the. I'm going to do all the work didn't and get you, done. Well, it's I'm going to do all the work, and you are going to take all the credit. There's yes. the M and M at its finest, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and so, in the end, when you tell them, I'm done here's all the facts, the same as the charming ones, the same as the successful ones. Okay. Non unsuccessful ones do this too. When you're done and you say, I'm, I'm done, I'm pulling the plug. 
I'm out. However way that manifests for you, whatever, you know, you, you measure it by how quickly can I do no contact? Not that you didn't do it right away. I did it quicker than I did it last time. I'm, mm. I'm getting better. That's how I measure success for myself. Um, and that when you pull the plug, they are going to come back with a vengeance and you are going to deal with it the best way that you can. And then you're going to get to that place where you just don't care and you don't look and you don't engage, work through whatever process you need to look. I'm just as guilty as anyone raising my hand right now. I have engaged. I have been ticked at being ripped off, lied to, da, da, da. I am human. I'm not, I have empathy. Those things can be tripped up in me. But again, okay, this one took me three months to figure out and go completely no contact and get to the, the bears pooping in the woods and I don't care stage. That's better than last time. It took me six months. <laughs> that's, that's definitely movement in the right direction, my friend. Yeah. Well, and the other thing to remember, you know, in that process, then when we move from that better than life, bigger than oxygen position, and we, we set that boundary and we move into no contact, then we then become dissected. They will identify, attack, oh, yeah. and do any attempt to destroy. So we went from this amazing personality who's got the world at her hands to some low-life loser who doesn't know, you know her right from her and left And they're hand. the victim of you. Like they could be yes. stealing from money from your clients that are charities. And you pull the plug on it because that's stealing. Mm -hmm. And yet they will, their story to the world is, oh, I'm the victim of this horrible person. You, who they put on a pedestal when they first met you. So that's another trippy well, thing that happens. Well, it comes back to the why work when you can cheat or lie. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, so whether we're on the receiving end of these folks romantically or, or in the business dynamic, they're all over. And again, not all of the dark triads are going to present, you know, at a yes. diagnostic level of pathology, but it's that triad together and they look good, whether they're, whether it's outside or inside, they look good they're, They draw us in. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's so deceiving. And so when we are deceived and, um, and duped, if you will, it's really easy for us to turn the anger on self of, oh, you've got to be kidding me. How right. did you, what in the world were you thinking? And you know, try you're not a, to try not to listen to people that tell you that too. Oh, everybody you. around you is going to say, oh, yeah. well, I we saw that. Uh, yes. and, and I'm like, I will say this about Dr. Lisa Day listeners. Um, she's one of those people that will tell you, this has been my experience. This isn't good. And that is so helpful. I'm one of those people too, because she and I have learned society isn't really set up to help you deal with these kind of people because we don't want to acknowledge that they even exist because it's unpleasant. So it's much easier to have someone tell you they're in that kind of experience with someone in the dark triad and say, I saw that coming. Yeah. I, you know, I, I knew that something bad was going to happen. That's, you can't blame people for being that way because that's really the way that, that we're made and handcrafted. But once you've been in the battle zone and you're on the side of trying to help others with this, then you become someone that goes, I'm going to go against that. And I'm going to say before the inevitable, horrible end, I'm going to be a helper and I'm going to tell someone, hey, I'm experiencing this with this person. It's not great. And I just thought you should be aware of it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And that takes some 
courage. Take some Mm -hmm. courage because you don't want to be accused of being a negative person or talking trash Mm -hmm. about someone or what have you. Mm -hmm. But I am so grateful to the people like Lisa and Christine Louis de Cannibal, some of my other friends that will say before I get to the, oh, this is one of those people that will tell me, hey, this is what's going on. I don't like it. I think you should watch out for this. Something's not right. Mm-hmm. This boat don't float right and something's yep. wrong. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's, that's actually a good point too, though, because when we find ourselves in um, relationship with the dark triad, we want to keep an eye on if things seem too good to be true, mm-hmm. they probably are. <laughs> you know? yes. They probably are. And this is where, you know, we talk about codependency and I, I say that, you know, to the extent that we give people qualities they don't have, or more importantly, <laughs> in this case, disregard qualities they do. Right. And if we have to lie to ourselves in order to remain in that relationship, then we're detaching from self. And that's usually a good indication that our radars are up warning, 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 but we're being charmed and flattered into, we're being worked, we're being manipulated, we're yep. being fed into something that ultimately is going to be pricey, both emotionally, relationally, business-wise, financially. Um, and so it's, it's, it's an ongoing challenge, right? Yep. Um, and, and I wish I, I wish I would say that these people, dark triads would come into therapy, but the only time that they do come into therapy in my experience, when they're forced, well, when they have a problematic <laughs> non-compliant partner mm-hmm. and they want to come or and tell me how, order. Yeah, a court order, right? Um, or they want to tell me how this non-compliant, you know, a difficult partner um, needs to be changed so that they can, you know, be, be more compliant with the needs of the dark triad character. So it's, it's sad. These people, you know, unfortunately, and I, I feel sometimes, Kristen, that we talk about narcissism as if it's something to run and not walk from at all cases. But sadly, you know, the, the amount of, of folks who do come in and who genuinely seek change, I, in my experience, you uh, know, I'd, I'd, I'm going to give it, you know, ample and say less than 10%, but I'd probably say less than 5%. Right. Um, yeah, it's only when, you know, it's kind of like alcohol, when they're sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, you know, from right. the, the negative fallout that they say, wow, perhaps I've gotten these qualities from this, there, and the other, and help me, help me. Right. And you know, it's not that we can't have friendships with people who are extremely narcissistic. There's a difference between someone who is extremely narcissistic and someone who has narcissistic personality disorder. The difference is someone who's extremely narcissistic in my experience can be a very caring caring human being that had a lot of trauma as a child and or they are a longtime addict or there are many, many reasons why they are this way and they know it and they work hard to not be this way. They don't go around looking for chaos, drama, uh, and causing pain to others. Extremely narcissistic behavior doesn't always um, lend itself to oh, that person enjoys the destruction of others. It's when it becomes a personality disorder is when you're looking at someone that is constantly trying to excavate for drama, cause trauma, splitting, and so on. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think it comes back to where you started this podcast um, in that it's, it's a true evil. You know, and we don't like to think of that word or we get afraid of that word. But, you know, I remember after the, um, and this isn't necessarily a dark triad individual, but I remember after the Columbine shootings years and years ago, and I don't even remember who it was on NPR, but I really um, respected his boldness in saying that we need to remember there is evil in our world. 
mm-hmm. there's evil in our world. And I think that, you know, to be aware of the dark triad, um, not to live in fear of it, but to be aware of it and to not lie to ourselves and to be truthful with something doesn't feel right. If something feels too good to be true, it is. And to listen, you know, I often say if we've had a history of being involved with narcissists or with folks in the dark triad, I'm a big advocate of putting what I call the committee together. And, <laughs> and you know where I'm going with this, mm-hmm. right? And the committee is someone who can give us an objective um, observation because when they are not the ones who are smitten, drawn in or sold by the manipulative tactics of these folks, our, our loved ones, our committee are able to say, you know, something's not adding up here, you know, and I would encourage you to either run that walk or to proceed with caution. But so if we've had those experiences, I'm a big advocate of developing a committee that's trusted people that you can lean on. Absolutely. And and I know we're closing here, but another thing you can do is, and this has been probably the most helpful thing for me is I'm such a big connector, you know, bring, oh, let's bring someone else in and let's, I want to share my success or this opportunity with the people that I think are fantastic. And sometimes I'm working or have worked with someone who's part of the dark triad and I'm doing that with them and they love it. But the minute that I start sharing some of that with everybody else, which is how I am and not how they are, they start to get very angry and they'll start to try to split me with the rest of my friends and colleagues that are not part of the dark triad who are just as committed to being generous with others as I am. And what's so helpful is when I start to see the narcissistic person's behavior, the wooing, the manipulation to one of my colleagues or friends, that's a a big ding, ding, ding. Ah, I couldn't see it for myself because they were really good at hiding it and, you know, being on their best behavior around me, but I'm witnessing it happen to someone else. That is such a great indicator for me to go, okay, you need to dial it back now, the amount of stuff you're doing with this person. (laughs) Boundaries, 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 Mm -hmm. because these folks don't do well with confrontation. So, you know, boundaries being what I will and will not do, um, control being what he will or will not do. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what else would you want to, what do you want to close with on this one, Lisa? Because this is always such a meaty subject. Yeah. Well, you know, I just think, I think of the two realms. I think about the workplace that it's often associated with success, both in business and politics. And I think about the the relationship realm that we, we see them often, you know, um, the more empathic an individual is, the greater the likelihood they're going to end up with someone with these qualities. And I think that, you know, again, learning how to listen to our gut, knowing what these qualities look like, and just adding them to our, uh, our arsenal, if you will, of, of qualities to look at um, as we navigate through this thing we call life. It's just more the it's out there. There is evil out there. There is the dark triad out there. And there are people who definitely do not have our best interests at heart. And for any of us who are empathic, who are loving and kind and desire the best for other people, as you were just sharing, we are the greatest likelihood to be victim of these kinds of people. Absolutely. So beware. Absolutely. Yeah, beware. And the last thing I'll say is, is this, when you, you are going through this, you know, profound healing, um, as a highly empathic person, you do get to a place where you can be in the presence of someone that just does a 180 on you when they realize that they're not going to get anywhere else with you. You may not have realized it yet, but the further you are in this healing journey, the quicker they realize that they aren't going to get much further with you and they get mad. And so they'll start to project 
And I've had that happen and then them turn around and really start telling me all kinds of things about me that they've quote unquote noticed. And you know you're doing well when you stand there and in the midst of hearing all of this stuff, you go, yeah, they are talking about themselves. <laughs> and you don't even take it on. You don't yep. even, I've, in the past, that would have just taken me to the floor. And now I've done so much work and so much self-care that I can go, that my non-friend anymore is projection. You be talking about yourself and it doesn't sit in my soul. I may examine I'm, some of it like, well, maybe that a little bit, but it doesn't sit in my soul and wound me at all. I'm, I'm not going to take it personally. Yep. I'm going to see it as a reflection of their character. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you for wanting to do this topic. You know how much I enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> That's that sadistic side coming out, right? right. That's the, <laughs> no, no. I think it's, I, I, I as well, because so I think necessary. the more we can power ourselves the greater strength we have yep. absolutely and listeners thank you for tuning in to another episode on meyer clinics podcast i know i know no one likes commercials but seriously folks without the help from these organizations we could not stay on the air please give a shout out to zencharts.com if you're a mental health or addiction treatment center you'll want to use their ehr it's gorgeous and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Oh, yeah.